All right, Wayne Bettis here, the founder of the Off The Tools podcast. I just want to introduce you to our brand new sponsor, directplumbingsupplies.com. It is founded by a former tradesman who has set up his own plumbing and heating merchants. He has an online shop, which is obviously at directplumbingsupplies.com, and he delivers across the UK. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, welcome to another episode in the Trades Growth Summit. I am delighted to introduce Tom Reber, who comes to us from the USA. He is an author, he is a business coach, a podcast host, a TV host. Welcome, Tom. Hey, how you doing, Wayne? Thanks for having me, man. No, thank you. Do you know, we're, yeah. we're here to raise money for, for the veterans in the UK. So I value and really thank you for your taking the time out of your busy day to, to come on and help us. Well, when I, when I heard about this, man, I, we reached out because I was like, if there's anything we could do to bring some more eyeballs to this, we're happy to do so. I'm a Marine Corps veteran and uh, had, had the privilege of uh, hanging around uh, some UK military when I was in here and there and uh, great great men and women man so i'm i'm really happy to be here and and contribute any way we can so oh, fantastic right so let's let's just get straight on with it shall we we're both uh, you know we're uh, both straight to the point type of blokes let's just get in and uh, and uh, see what we can do let's do it man so excellent yeah yeah so listen i'm i'm excited to uh to talk to everybody here today and just share a little bit of some things that I believe will help you as you build your teams, as you deal with your customers and stuff. And it's what I call the people game. And this is a, um, this is a topic that unless you're living under a rock as a contractor, especially you're always looking for good people. You want to add people to your team. You want to grow your business. We can, we can sell all the work in the world, but if we can't produce the work, you know, then what good is it? Right. And so, uh, and, and for many, many years, um, I've seen a decline in people going into the trades and things like that. And so, um, through the years, I've just put together some thoughts here and I call it the people game. And I'm, I'm excited to share it with you because those that kind of embrace some of the things that we're going to talk about here today, I've seen them really, um, turn their companies into real attractive, uh, businesses that, that winners want to come and, and be a part of. So, um, and that that's called the people game. So I, I have a few slides here today. This is not going to be like death by presentation or anything like that or <laughs> PowerPoint or whatever you call it, but just some, just some visuals now and then to, um, to help drive a point home. And so I'm going to share some stuff with you guys here and, uh, hopefully, hopefully we're all good and we can see it. So, um, so I'm ready to dig in, man. You ready to dig in? I'm, I'm ready to go, All Tom. Right. You know, the floor cool. is yours, my friend. There we go. Well, you tap in anytime you want, man. You want to talk about something deeper or whatever it is, we'll do it. This this just a couple of dudes hanging out trying to help some people. So um, so there's there's two two things here. And, and the first is um, I'm going to talk about a thing called the profit path because I want to set the tone before I get into the people game part. But the profit path, um, you know, as, as a business owner, we all want to have consistent, intentional profit. Um, and I remember the first year I was in business as a painting contractor, really early 2000s. I, um, I had 50 grand in the bank at the end of the year, and I had no idea how I did it. <laughs> and then the next year I had like no money in the bank and had no idea how I did it. Right. And, and so I see a lot of companies that are up and down, up and down with their profits. And so my goal here is for us to be intentional about building a company that is consistently profitable, you know, and uh, meeting the needs of the people within it and our communities and all that. And that takes intention. So I'm going to kind of walk you guys down a, a thing that we call the profit path here in the contractor fight, um, because there's an order of how things need to go. Now, let me ask you this. If I, if I were to, um, okay, I'm just making sure my buttons are working here. There we go. If I were to pull a hundred home improvement contractors. And I've done this in live audiences before. And so I, I know these numbers are, are accurate. If I were to pull a hundred home improvement contracts and I said, what, what do you need to do to be consistently profitable? 80% of the time in these live audiences, we get two main responses. Number one is 
uh, you got to take care of your customers and make your customers happy as everybody always goes there, which is a natural thing to do. And the second thing, especially with, with the contracting crowd is they'll say something along the lines of you got to do really good work. The good work will speak for itself. And as important as craftsmanship is, and as important making your customer is, there's actually an order to things that, um, doesn't include either one of those being first and our priority. And that's what I'm going to share with you guys here. And so down at the bottom right of the screen here, you'll see the green letters profit. That's where we all want to get to. And this is the natural progression of how you can build a profitable business. And it's an inside out approach. And if I, if I were a better presentation maker guy, I would have made this a circle instead of just the words on there, because I want you to picture the middle of the circle is leadership. Okay. Profit is the result first and foremost of strong, intentional leadership. All right. Where you have a clear vision, you know, where you want to go, you know, what your values are and, um, and you're working on yourself as a leader. One of our other values that we teach here is get oxygen, right? You got to take care of you first before you can take care of anyone else. And if you notice the progression of these, just picture that circle. And um, it starts with strong, intentional leadership. Then it moves to that strong, intentional leader creates the culture that that he or she wants. What type of business do we want to have? What do we want to stand for? How do we do things here? And one of the things to me, culture is kind of the intersection between, there's many definitions, but one of the definitions for me is culture is the intersection between what we expect and what we tolerate, right? So you ever had somebody who doesn't fill out their paperwork or they're late to work or whatever, and man, I just can't get my guy to fill out this form or, you know, update this sheet or whatever it is, or, you know, big one is they don't fill out their time cards. And then I got to chase everyone down and get their time cards. Well, you're, you're tolerating that behavior and now you're creating a chaotic culture. Okay. And so it's very important that you as the leader are super intentional, super consistent about what flies here and what doesn't fly. So strong leadership drives culture. That culture creates an environment where you have a satisfied employee. Now, a satisfied employee is way more than a paycheck. All right. And we're going to get into some of that stuff later on when we get into more of the people game part, but I want to go through the profit path. Um, So a satisfied employee, it's, you know, they're part of a team that they like being a part of. They have a purpose and some things like that. Of course, the money box needs to be checked. But I find that when I put my focus and attention on my team first and make sure that they have what they need to succeed, that they know that they have their back and all those things, they're satisfied. A satisfied employee becomes a loyal employee. Um, Back in the recession of 08, I had a painting business outside of Chicago we, our revenues were cut in half pretty much overnight. We pulled our team together. We sat, sat them all down in our office. In fact, it got so bad um, that we moved out of our office. We were renting a building and we moved into the basement of the building in a little corner in the basement and put a desk down there for our office just to save money is how rough it got. Well, we sat our whole team down and we were like, Hey, you got to do what you got to do to take care of your family. We all took the, uh, gave everyone like a 20% pay cut. My business partner and I, at the time, we took 30% pay cuts, cut all this other overhead. And I pulled the team together and I said, guys, we know you have to do what you have to do to take care of your family, but we are, I truly believe we're stronger together than we are apart. Let's find a way through this. And on the other end, we're going to be stronger fast forward because of our leadership and the culture we created and how we cared about them. They were so loyal. Not one employee left the company. And we came out on the other side of the the recession stronger um, because of our team. And when I asked some guys, probably a year year after things kind of cleared up, I asked one of the guys, I said, we cut your pay and it was a really tough time. And this, and I said, why did you guys stay? And he, and he, it came back to the fact, I know that you got, we all know that you guys care about us. We like the culture that's here, and we figured we could ride the storm out and get through this. Guys, that's the type of people you want that are loyal um, to you as you are to them. Well, a, more, a loyal employee becomes more productive. Okay, They do better work. They produce better work, which leads to that quality work. Say so Better productivity leads to higher quality work, less issues in the field. That satisfies a client, which in turn creates a loyal client that can't imagine calling another contractor ever again, except you, 
And that leads to that intentional, consistent profit. So like I said, I should have done the circle, but it kind of works out that way. And it's an inside out approach where a lot of people, when they're not profitable, things aren't going the way they need to go in their business. They immediately go to like, I got to make my customers happy. I got to do better work. So I want to encourage you guys watching this when you have, if, if, when, and if you have an issue in your business, if you're not hitting your sales targets, if your production is, is, you know, uh, lagging or whatever it might be, you have some issues with personnel, go to this map that to me, this is the map, but I first look in the mirror as a leader. And then I go, how am I doing? What do I need to own? You know, we call it owning our crap here in the fight. All right. What do I need to own and get better at? Um, and I'm going to look at my culture. I'm going to start talking to my employees and I'm going to work my way out and you will, you will identify the problem every time. So hopefully that makes sense on the profit path here. Makes makes perfect sense. You know, I, I don't think I've ever heard it explained in, in such a simplistic but powerful way. You know, guys and girls listening, man, take note, take a screenshot right now of, uh, of this pathway, because I, I think you, you said it, you can literally, any problem you're coming to, mm-hmm. you could not identify to one of these stepping stones, can't you? Yeah, you really can. And it's, um, you know, most of us um, do pretty dang good on the work, the actual work, and we do pretty good on bending over backwards for our clients. But where we're missing the the point of this whole thing is if we're not focused on us as a leader and our people first, you're not going to create the type of culture that people want to be, that are that they're going to be attracted to or that they're going to want to stay a part of. All right. And so um, a lot of people look at this employee satisfaction thing as, oh, I got to bend over backwards and kiss everyone's butt all the time. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying create the type of place that when a Monday morning rolls around, your people are actually fired up to come in and be a part of things. Um, you know, one of my business partners, he has a rule with his employees that anytime an employee says they need something like, Hey, we need a new piece of equipment or we, you know, whatever it is. Um, he gets it for him because he wants to remove every excuse for their performance. All right. And so however that applies to you guys, take care of your employees. When you do that, when you love up on them, they ain't going anywhere because I promise you, 90, 95% of, of your competitors are not focused on these things. They're not building this type of culture. They're just, I get story after story after story of DMs from people going like, man, you know, the guy I'm working for, I'm leaving now because all he cares about is, you know, his fishing boat and putting money in his pocket. And he just works us to the bone and doesn't now listen, there's always two sides to the story. I get that, but I hear that so often and I hardly ever hear the somebody bragging about how amazing their boss is. And so let's be the type of boss that people want to brag about. Um, so that I just wanted to lay the, the foundation here. So now it comes to how do I grow as a leader? How do I, that first part of the circle there, the first step uh, of the path is leadership. How do I grow as a leader? That's really where we get into the people game. And if you want to grow as a leader, man, it, it comes down to really understanding how human beings are wired. Okay. Um, and so I want to go through there. There's five, um, there are five fears and there was a bunch of smart guys like 30 years ago that put together a really big study. And, and then another group of smart guys dwindled it down to like a few things. And then I'm taking that and making it even more simpler just because that's how I operate. Right. And so, um, this people game, there's, there's five fears that are super common across all cultures, all economic levels, all, you know, wherever they did these studies. And the first is the fear of death. Okay. We have this fear of death, uh, which is why I got that beautiful looking gravestone there, right. In the cemetery, just to kind of paint that picture for us. Well, there's, of course there's physical death, but then you have relational death. You can have career death and all this other stuff. Well, this fear of death that we all have rolling around in us at some level, um, that creates the need for security. Okay. So again, I'm digging into how do you grow as a leader and how you satisfy your people? This is kind of this whole thing here. We'll, we'll cover a lot of this. I also want to say that this applies all these things that I'm going to go through apply to not just your team internally, but they also apply to your customers because your customers are people too. Okay. And when you can really understand how people are wired to some degree, you'll, you'll be much better at meeting their needs. And so, um, and this one, I'm going to spend the least amount of time on here, but how do you meet 
that need of security. Okay. It's, it's having, um, uh, it's having a map and a vision as a leader of where you're taking the company. So somebody, somebody looks at you and they go, I don't want to, I don't want to invest my time with this company. And then just to be left with nothing standing on the end and have no career, um, security. Okay. And so we don't, we want to make sure that, um, that we're meeting those needs. Or if you have an employee that goes to work and he started the day with seven fingers, you want him to come home with seven fingers, right? You want him to be safe and this and that. And that's why you need to invest in safety training and all those things like that so that you can truly meet that need of people wanting to feel secure in the workplace. Okay. Second one is this one always creeps. Every time I see this picture, it creeps me out. I'm like, ah, um, human beings have a fear of the outsider. Okay. So I don't know about you, Wayne, but when I, you know, I remember there was a kid, I was a sophomore in high school playing on the football team and we had a pretty good high school football program and a new kid from Oklahoma moved in and he played offensive line. He was a big burly dude and huge weights in the weight room. And I wasn't a lineman, but I remember, um, all the linemen were afraid of the outsider. Like he was going to come in and take their position or something like that. And we see that a lot in the trades, right? The, the fear of the outsider. I, I can tell you, this is funny. I've hired hundreds, hundreds of employees through the years in the trades and stuff like that for our companies. Not one time after the first day of work, did someone on the crew call me up and go, Hey, we really like the new guy. It was always, I don't like this guy. They never like the new guy. Right. Yeah, and so yeah because they fear the outsider. Well, that creates a need for building community. So our job as a leader is to create community in our companies. And so how do you do that? You, you actually have a plan for that. When that new hire starts, like what's the first day and the first week and all that going to look like everybody's going to be at the office and you're going to give the guy his business cards, his phone, his, his company shirts, instead of him walking in and you going, Oh crap, you're starting today. Like let's actually remember that he's starting and welcome them. Take, you know, um, you know, have a company breakfast and just get to know each other and things like that. Um, you can create community by doing fun things with your team, obviously, right? You go fishing, you can go hiking. There's so many things that you can do to build that community and build that family. And that's part of the reason. And that story I shared earlier during the recession, when all our guys stayed, they stayed because we were truly like a tight knit community. All right. And we trusted each other. On the flip side, <clears throat> think about your customers. All right. I, you know, I'm tattooed up and a lot of contractors are big, burly people, big, burly guys with beards and all this other stuff. Right. Um, and then we knock on the door and the little five foot two Mrs. Jones opens the door and there's this big mountain of a man standing in the doorway with a big, like a tree standing there going, <laughs> Hey, I'm here to come work on your house. Right. Like, there's a fear of the outsider to some degree. They don't necessarily know you uh, other than maybe a referral they got, or they found you online or whatever it might be. And then you show up. So how do you create community with that homeowner? All right. Um, we call it, uh, and I got this across the pond. I was in London many years ago and I was getting on and off the, uh, the subway and this pop quiz here. You ready for this, Wayne? What, what are they, what's the announcement? over the speaker and then there's signs all over what's it say it says please mind the gap you got it man it says mind the gap okay and <laughs> mind the gap anyway and i'm like several years later i was thinking about that space between when somebody hires us and when we show up to do the work that's the gap so I've literally for years over here in our community been telling our contractors, you guys got to mind the gap. That's where you create community. We all have these phones that are supercomputers. You can do a quick little video and shoot it out with your crew leader and you can introduce your foreman and you can go, hey, Wayne, this is Scott. Scott's going to be doing your job next week. I just wanted you to put eyes on him. Look for a phone call from him. It could be this, you know, I, I know... Um, I know you know who Marcus Sheridan is, and they ask you answers, but Marcus is a good friend of ours in the contractor fight. We've, he's done a lot of events for our community and things like that. It's creating that content, like Marcus talks about, they ask you answer, and you can drip it out to them through your blog posts and, and emails and video and all these things so that they feel secure about who's coming. That's why you should build community with you know, 
having your team on, on your website and all those things. So, and um, you know, if you're going hiking, if you're giving an employee a reward, if you have an employee who's buying a house and you're taking pictures and celebrating, you want to put that out and shoot it out in your email list and go, Hey, we want to congratulate Joe and his wife. You know, they're buying their first house and we're so happy and blah, blah, blah. This is how one of the ways there's many ways you can create community, but this is one of the ways that you can create community with your customers. Okay. So guys, remember People fear the outsider. So it is our job as a leader to just constantly ask ourselves, how can I unify people? How can I unify my community or build community with my team? Hopefully that. Again, it makes perfect sense. You know, like I'm uh, what you guys over there call soccer. I'm a soccer coach for my my younger son, Mm -hmm. football, what we call it here in the UK. And whenever we get a new player, you know, they're yep. scared. The new players are scared. They don't. They don't want to. They don't want a new player. They don't want to go and speak. And it's my job as the leader of that team to integrate them. To you know to to get them in. And you wouldn't think twice about doing that when you're on the football field. And exactly. It's, and it, but whereas in your business, it, it sort of can be alien, can't it, to have that same perception? But it's so true. Yeah. You know. Listen. I um. I was a high school football coach uh, for about seventeen years, and. Looking back with total clarity, 2020 vision, uh, the last program I coached, we were we were had an awful record. I was two and 28 over three years as a head coach. Okay, pretty bad. And there were a lot of reasons we were not a good program. But if, again, if I'm going to look in the mirror, extreme ownership, and just go, okay, I didn't build enough community with my players and and their families. Like I'm I'm a real hard charger and all this other stuff. And like, let's attack and get, I don't understand why you can't lift weights or why you don't want to lift or why you don't go to class. So we could be eligible and all these things. Uh, if I had a do over at that program, I think the results would be a lot different because I would embrace what we're talking about here. And I would, I would go to them. Um, cause I was still an outsider to them. Yeah. I was close to some of the kids, but I'm just saying as a program, I really lacked building that family feel. So, yeah. um, all right. So, um, next one, big eyeball. What's that mean? Big eyeball is people, um, have a fear of an unclear future. Every one of us wants to know where we're going. So, um, many years ago, I was working with a painting contractor and he had, uh, you know, a few million bucks of work on the books for the next year. But he had some employees, I'll fast track the story, he had some employees that were starting to look for jobs. And, um, and it's funny, we, I, I was brought in to, to help the company with some things, but this kind of topic came up that people were looking for jobs. And I'm like, you know, what's going on? And so um, I started talking to some of the key employees and the foreman, the guys in the field, and they're like, well, we don't, we don't know if there's any work. I mean, we've always been busy and this and that. And um, but it just doesn't seem like we're going to be busy. So I don't, I don't want to be left high and dry. Right. You know, naturally, well, long story short, they used to have, you know, those, those um, wall folder things where you'd take a job folder and you stick it in the wall. Well, they had, this is like a $4 million company and they were, this was a record sales year. I brought this up to the owner and I'm like, everyone thinks that you don't have work. What's going on. And he's like, dude, we're having a record year. It's crazy. Here's what happened. They had those wall folder things with new jobs under each crew leader's name. They had them in the shop. And every time the guys came in the shop, you know what they did? They'd glance over at that wall. And as long as they saw folders in the wall, they knew there was work. You know, it was just one of those real simple things. Well, the company got rid of the folder things and went to the uh, um, like a CRM scheduling thing that they kept in the office. So there was nothing visual in the shop anymore for the guys. And so um, long story short, I'm like, well, throw a monitor out there so they could just see what's that the calendar is full. And they did. And problem went away because when we have the fear of an unclear future, all we want is clarity. We just want clarity you know, hence the eyeball here. See what I did? All right. So, yeah. um, Fantastic analogy. (laughs) So we're Um, you know, there's a, there's a phrase that I've used for years and it's called, it's called, it's called silence separates, right? In the absence of you communicating clearly what the future looks like for your team in that silence, they're going to make up their own story. 
Okay. And that, that goes for any of us, right? Our spouse, right? If you're not talking to your spouse and things like that, you're both making up your own story. I, I had a business partnership that just, we all in all, we had a great business, but we blew it because we stopped communicating about what was the clarity that we each needed. And when then we, you start reading each other's mind and that's always a problem. So I want to encourage people with your employees, you got to give them a clear future. Will my life be better as a result of working for your company? Like if I'm going to come here and invest my time and my talents and, and my energies and all that, will my life be better down the road here? And if not, they're going to bail. All right. We, we call it a, um, we call it a mastery ladder in our world over here in my company where, you know, I tell people like, let's just say you're a painting contractor. If somebody comes in, what's the path of, to winning in your business? Like I could come in as an apprentice and here's the certain skills and the education and the tools and the pay and all that other stuff. And then once I've mastered that, what's the next level? It's a painter. And then maybe it's an assistant foreman and then it's a foreman or whatever, but you got to show people a path because the winners we want, um, winners will not stay in an environment where they can't continue to win. Okay. They're, they're going to look for other things. And so this unclear future is really, really big when it comes to keeping our team together. Sorry, I got my alerts are blowing up here. Um, (laughs) Now you flip it to the customer side of things, right? You got um, the unclear future. This is where, this is kind of where I started talking about that mind the gap stuff. All right. Um, Your customer, they don't live in your world. They don't know how things go. They don't know the timing of all these things. And so um, that's why we want to walk people through what it likes, what it looks like to work with us back to the content stuff that we were talking about with Marcus. Like we should all have a video on what happens next. Um, you know, I have a guy who, um, he, he does uh, water features, um, backyard koi ponds and things like that. He shows people pictures of how terrible the yard is going to look throughout the process. He's like, we're going to tear up the grass and this is going to be a mess. And this is going to blah, blah, blah. And this and that. And he paints this awful picture, literally when he signs a contract to set those expectations of what to expect to give them clarity. And that way, when they come home from work one day and they see the backyard look like it literally was under attack by mortars, you know, they're not freaked out. Um, and so again, if, if there's silence, people are making up their own stories. Uh, I remember as a painting contractor, like we were on a project where it was days before we put color on anything because there was so much prep work. Right. And we did not do a good job communicating with the the customer. And every day they came home from work, they're like, they didn't see any progress. Right. And so that was on us. And so we want to give people a clear future. We want to give people a clear future with, um, you know, our, our customers with when do they need to pay us? Okay. When you're going to invoice them, what's going to happen if they want to do additional work and having all these processes, guys, I can't emphasize enough the importance of just laying out what the future can look like for both your employees um, and your customers. I mean, we can go on and on about that all day, but, um, but I won't. Yeah, no, it's, it's a fantastic point though, you know, and, and for us in the trade, in the industry, we know what to expect because it's our job. It's what we do every day, but yeah. the customer is, it's a it's a total new, big, scary mm-hmm. risk that they're taking when they're doing whatever work it might be, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So makes well, like sense. I said, like I said, minding the gap, right? Like I had a I've I've talked to so many guys, um, but I, one guy in particular, he sold this really nice job. He was all excited about it, and then uh, I don't know, it was probably ten or fourteen days later, he called me. He goes, "Man, they hired somebody else," and I said. Well, you got the signed contract and all that other stuff. I said, when did you find out they hired somebody else? He says, well, I called the night before I was going to start to tell him I was coming the next day. And they said, oh, we didn't hear from you. So he didn't mind the gap. It was just like a little over a week. And they thought he'd forgot about them, that it was just because there was no communication. And that happens a lot more often than you think it does. Because again, like I said, people make up stories in their head if we don't tell them what to think. One of my coaches said to me, he goes, Tom, um, in how did he word it? He's he said, your customers are always feeling something, right? 
make sure you're in control of that feeling. Be intentional. Again, it comes back to being intentional. Um, next one here. You ever feel like this in your business? <laughs> Been there many times. Yeah. <laughs> chaos. One of the fears that we have as human beings is chaos. Anybody that tells you they enjoy chaos is full of crap. All right. Nobody likes chaos. All right. Well, the, the, the fear of chaos leads, produces the need for order. We want to have order. Um, so I always ask people, um, what, where is chaos showing up in your business right now? And it's usually not knowing where the guys are going. Maybe you don't know if you're turning a profit cause you're not job costing. Um, you know, you don't have clear scopes of work and there's a bunch of confusion and all this. I'll tell you what, when we dial this in with people, when you really focus on just having some order in your business, profits go up literally immediately. All right. Um, I get so much pushback, man. When I tell contractors, Hey, you need to have a weekly production or operations meeting with your teams, at least your foreman, if nobody else, you know, let's get on the same page and know what's kind of ties closely into the, having that, that, um, that clarity of, of that clear future that we talked about as well. All right. Um, there are so many annoyed employees right now in your businesses because you're allowing chaos to show up. All right. Um, I mean, think about that. Do you want to wake up every day knowing you're going somewhere to work where it's just a, it's just a clown show. You know what I'm saying? Like every, I mean, I I've, I I've run the clown show before too. So I'm not like accusing here. I've lived it. Right. Um, I remember I was so bad at creating order that I would literally, I had 20, 25 painters out in the field and I would, I'd be calling guys and they just get set up on a job over here. But, you know, because of lack of planning on my part, no order and no clear future and stuff, I'm calling him to drive over here. And then he's got to drive back. And this is painting. This is not plumbing where you're fixing a sink here and doing this, right? This is, there's like patching and dry time and all this other garbage. And it was a total mess. And when we kind of get, and that was because I didn't have clear scopes of work. I didn't have man hours attached to all the different things that we had to do. So there could be order and accountability and with the job costing and things like that. Um, you know, it was just an absolute mess. And then I dialed it in. And like I said, immediately our profits went through the roof because we had order. All right. Or think about your customers again, this is their people too, right? So on the customer side, you know, we have, um, how's chaos showing up there, right? You're walking the job. It's the last day of the job. And your foreman calls you and he says, Hey, Mrs. Jones thinks that we're supposed to be doing this. And she said it was included in the scope of work. Right. <laughs> and you're like, that wasn't included in the scope of work. All right. Um, other ways chaos shows up for your customers. They don't um, see chaos and the unclear future to me are very, they're like really close cousins, you know, because they're hand in hand. But it's like they don't know when you're coming. They don't know what's happening tomorrow. They don't. Um, you have different employees showing up every day throughout the job. Then you disappear for a while, and all this other stuff. Um, when when we get, um, when you nail this um, this order need and get rid of the chaos, your people will want to stay with you. Your customers will want to stay with you. They'll want to work with you, and it's all part of that profit path. Okay. Um, most clients are unhappy because not because of the work, but because of the chaos of working with a contractor. All right. I mean, I I've tried to hire several contractors this year. I've hired several. We've done a lot of work in our house. Um, and I'll tell you the biggest pain was the communication thing with contractors. They don't answer their phone. Number one, you fill out a form on the website and they don't get back to you ever. Like literally there's companies like yeah. nine months ago that still haven't reached back out to me that we, we were trying to do some flooring stuff and they haven't ever replied. You know, I literally, literally have just gone through this, the same process. We, we bought a new house um, and needed, there's loads to be done. And I would say the majority haven't yep. responded and haven't communicated with me. And the ones that did never, never gave me any clear direction of when they were coming. It was all left loose. Oh, I'll try and pop in this week, you know, or, or it'll be roughly this and roughly, and it, it drove me mad. You know, it yeah. literally drove me mad. 
it's there's so many are so non-committal. Yeah. You know, and and let me say something on this kind of a separate note. One of the reasons that contractors I think have a hard time with commitments and you know just the experience and the services deep down they don't trust themselves to do what they need to do to be disciplined and honor those things because again there's too busy running around trying to put all the fires and dealing with the chaos and they're drowning every day in their business so we need to eliminate the chaos replace it with order um and so here's an example in in my world the way we teach people we teach people in our sales stuff sell your work to at least get a 50% gross profit, right? So if the job's going to cost me five grand to do it, labor, material, permits, whatever, don't charge any less than $10,000, right? Just double your cost at least start there with your price. And what happens is a lot of these guys, they'll sell it at that, but they won't produce it at that, okay? They'll produce, you know, if, if they're planning on spending five grand to produce it in cost of goods, they'll spend seven, instead of the five, and they won't realize the 50% gross profit. And the reason is, is because they're not slowing down enough and pre-planning and mapping the job out and all this other stuff and making sure expectations are set. And that comes back to that operations meeting every week, just making sure that we're all on the same page. Here's the scopes of work. We would send guys out to do pre-job visits to our foreman who was running the job and they'd have the hours and they'd walk around and they'd do their own little takeoff. They'd call with questions before the job started you know, all these things, they'd set expectations with the homeowner, uh, with, through all these checklists that we had. And when we started really doing that, like slowing down at the beginning to create that order, we weren't just hitting 50% gross profit. We were hitting 55, 60%. We were finishing ahead. We were more efficient and all those things. And so obviously that's great for the customer, but it was great for our employees and our team because it wasn't chaotic right? They had, they didn't dread going into work and putting out fires all day and stuff. And and I had one guy that used to work for me and he was going to quit. I ended up saving him, but he was going to quit because he's like, Tom, I spend most of my week apologizing to our customers on your behalf. And I'm not doing this anymore. And I'm like, all right, that was one of my wake up calls. And I'm like, all right, what, what, what would a non-chaotic environment look like. And that was, we started putting things on paper and that's when we started getting some coaching and some other things to really dial that in. So, all right. Last one here. <clears throat> we all deep down have a fear of being insignificant in the world. All right. Um, the, um, dictionary definition of insignificant, I believe is too small um, or unimportant to be worth consideration, something along those lines. Okay. And if you want to be an expert in the people game, make people feel important. One of my business partners, Derek, when he talks to somebody, he pictures an imaginary sign around them hanging off them that says, make me feel important. And that keeps him dialed in. And so you think about your clients. Imagine if you just did that with all of your people, your vendors, your employees, your subs, your customers, if every interaction, your spouse, your kids, if every interaction, you just were dialed in on making that person feel important. Um, so let me talk, let me talk about our employees. How do we make our employees feel important? Well, you honor them, right? You, you create an environment of accountability, recognition, and fun. All right. You remember their birthdays. You celebrate milestones. Like it, this is th what I'm about to say is really, really bad, man. And I, I'm ashamed, but it, it'll drive this home for you. Okay. One of the biggest mistakes that I made in business as a leader many, many years ago is I went up to one of my foremen and I said, Hey, what's wrong with so-and-so he's not himself lately. Okay. And my foreman says, have you been living under a rock? And I go, what? He goes, his baby's dying. Wow. And I said, what? He says, I said, he, he had his baby a, almost a year ago. This is how clueless I was, man. And I hate his baby was born like a year earlier, never went home, never left the hospital. And it died on its first birthday in the hospital. And the week that it died, I somehow had this conversation with my foreman going, what's, what's up with so-and-so. And you talk about feeling like an idiot. Okay. Um, greatest 
leadership fail of my life was that I had this guy who was an amazing employee. In fact, during this whole year, he was still amazing. You and and I, you know, there's no excuse. Like I should have known, right? I didn't work with him side by side every day. I didn't have a lot of conversations, but still, he was on my team. I should have known. How unimportant must he have felt for that year? Mm. You know, and um, I'll tell you what our. Um, there was a guy's last name. I've, I've literally shared this, what I'm about to say now, like 10 times this week with people. It's so funny. <clears throat> there was a guy, I think his last name was Dyson. He was a CEO of Coke at one point. And he said, we're all juggling all these balls in our life. Okay. You got your career, you got your family, your spouse, your kids, your health, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, he said, all the balls are made of glass, except the career and business one. That one's made of rubber. That one will always bounce back. And that's always stuck with me. So he's like, don't ever drop one of the other balls. You put your health first, you get oxygen, right? You take care of your spouse, you, you know, and your kids. And which I know we, a lot of us, the reason we work our hands to the bone and, and, you know, motor every day is because we love our families, we're trying to produce for them or um, provide for them. But often we end up stealing time, money, and memories from them because, you know, we're really not putting them first. And so back to making people feel important, um, we have to remember your employee, our employees can always get another job. Hopefully they won't. Hopefully they'll always be with us. So be the type of leader, be the type of person that gives a crap about the things that are going on in their lives. That's why you got to build that community. Like we talked about, you got to spend time with people, just go what's going on. And so here's, here's, what's funny. We fast forward when we, we started to get our act together with this people stuff, we started having what we called a vision day at the beginning of every year with our team, where we would just sit down and I just go around and I'd be like to you know, any guy in the crew, the foreman, everybody, everybody, office manager, everybody would share. I'd be like, Wayne, what's something that you really want to accomplish this year in your life, in your work, whatever it is. And, you know, one guy was like, you know, I've always wanted to do this uh, hundred mile bike ride. And so I'm, I'm saving up to buy a bike. You know, I, this is a certain bike that I want and blah, blah, blah. And, and then we were like, after the meeting, he was a crew. This one guy was a crew leader. And after the meeting, we're like, I pulled him aside. I said, Hey, let's put a plan together where you hit a couple of performance things in this next quarter. I'll buy the bike for you. You know, I had another guy. I'm like, what if, uh, one of the questions we asked our team once was what's something you've always wanted to do and you've never done. And he was like, I never had a honeymoon with my wife. We've always wanted to go to this bed and breakfast here. That's really nice. I, she's always wanted to go there and I've never been able to afford it. So we helped figure out a plan for him to do it. And he did it. And okay. So they felt important. And yeah. so you, you have to make your, your people feel important um, because when they leave, they don't leave for a buck an hour. They leave because they didn't feel uh, uh, important or significant. Okay? Yeah. hundred percent. The, the money is always used as the excuse, yeah. isn't it? You know, I, now, oh, I can earn more there or whatever, but rarely is. And the money, listen, the money's got to be right. All right. I believe in paying, um, you know, if I'm just picking a number, if the average wage is $20 an hour, I'm going to pay somebody 25. Okay. Um, when somebody starts working for us, uh, well, here's, I'll use a different story. I had a guy's landscaper. He had a project manager. A guy wanted to make like 70 grand a year. That was what he wanted to make for his salary. It was several years ago. And he goes, yeah, I want 70. And this client of mine, landscaper was like, dude, I, I can't, I can't do 70. And the guy kind of, you know, body language went down. He says, but what I can do is I can do 80. And the guy perked up and he's like, but I need $80,000 of production. I need you on the spot. Here's, you know, they already went through the job description. He's yeah. like, like you want big boy money you got to do big boy work for me and make my phone not ring with problems. And I'm happy to give it because the 80, that $10,000 difference is nothing in the big scheme of the business. If you get what you want as the owner and this client of mine understood that. And so how do you think that guy went home that night? Okay. Cause here's, here's normally what happens. 
goes to an interview, you get offered the job, you go home, you go, yeah, they offered me the job and your wife and you know, or whoever goes, Oh, and, and what about the money? Well, I told them I wanted 70 and they said that there's a six month probation period. So they're going to start me at 55 and then they're going to reevaluate it in six months or a year or whatever the hell it is. Okay. Versus this guy was able to go home and go, Hey, they offered me the job and they're giving me $10,000 more. Now the whole family thinks you're kick ass as a, as a, an employer, right? So, um, how we make people feel really sets the tone. Let's flip it over to the customer side, right? How do we make them feel important? Well, I think it's understanding why they want to do the project to begin with. You know, it's understanding, it's asking questions like, hey, what would need to happen on this project for you to feel this was the best experience you ever had with a contractor? They'll open up. And when you start, you know, checking those boxes of the things that are important to them, it's huge. I had a woman, um, I asked her that question many years ago. I said, what's the worst thing that can happen on this project? She says, you wake my twins up when they're napping. I, so I basically said, well, what if we started, uh, the twins slept in the afternoon at a certain time for like 90 minutes. And I said, well, what if we were to just start later in the day, take a later lunch, we'll go off site for lunch down the street at the park. And you text my crew leader when the kids are up again, they'll come back and they'll work. She's like, you would do that. And I'm like, why wouldn't we? I don't want to wake your babies up. You know that I get it. It's tough. So she felt important. That was, that was the only thing that was important to her other than obviously getting her house painted. All right. That, but that was more important than the actual paint job. Other ways that we can make people feel important, right? Uh, mind the gap, <laughs> answer your phone, like just answer, return a call, do what you said you would do when you said you would do it. Um, you know, get, um, you know, respect their time, respect their property. I mean, tell the truth, have tough conversations, like all these things you can, you can make the case for making people, people feel important. That's what annoys you talked about it with your contractor issues, right? You just, they don't call you back. They don't send the things. And what are you, you're making it up in your mind. I'm just not important. Okay. Yeah. And that's really the root issue that most people have with contractors is, you know, they don't make me feel important. <laughs> so, um, but man, you know, what I've learned, um, back to that profit path, everything starts with you. It's that inside out approach. And when you really work on this, and this is all part of creating the culture too, this intentional culture where this is a place we, we give a crap about each other. And this, none of this stuff. I had one guy say to me once after I did a, a talk on this, he says, um, this stuff makes me feel like I got to create this powder puff, little pansy, you know, culture where everyone's feelings and all this other stuff. Right. He was an old tough, burly guy, <laughs> you know? And I said, I said, this is not replacing the, um, the high accountability, high performance environment that you want. This is just, you got to go to people where they're at. You know, one of my other business partners, he calls it the platinum rule. There's the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. He calls the platinum rule, treat others the way they want to be treated. That's all we're talking about here. Still be you, but, you know, and still have the vibe of your company and stuff doesn't mean that you're coddling people. It just means that, you know what, when I look in the mirror at the end of the day, um, I'm going to know that I did everything I could to make my team feel good you know, and I'm going to set them up for success. That's all it is. I start every day with my team. I send a, uh, we call it the morning mojo message. And it's a text message uh, to about 15 or so people on my team. Um, and every single day, seven days a week, I send a message out to my team first thing in the morning. Like here's today's embrace the stuff you don't want to do the monotonous and boring actions that compound to success, the uncomfortable things that make you grow, build the habit of digging into the things that others avoid and more wins will come. Have a great day. Like I just start my day showing my team. And I, I also send a similar text to my family every morning. Okay. I, because I am, I do something not with, not with my staff, funnily enough, just yeah. with my, with my family, we, I, mm -hmm. a daily note. Like I, I use, I like old school sticky notes. Yeah, you know, I leave them around the house to show appreciation. Um, but yeah, you've you, you've just kicked me up the ass with with my team. <laughs> so owning that crap and going to do that yeah. do that myself now. Well, you know, and it's again this this goes back to what I shared earlier. Your customers or your team or your kids or whatever are always feeling something, right? 
So I'm going to do what I can to control, not in a creepy way, but to control what they're feeling about us, our relationship, our company, our family, and those things. Again, it's just being that intentional leader. Wow. Fine. There you go, man. You know, that's Tom, man. I, that is for anyone watching this, you're going to have to go back and watch this again because there is so much value in the, in the 45 minutes, hour, whatever we've been on. Um, I can't thank you enough, Tom. Honestly, that, that, that has been liberating. And I've personally taken stuff away from that myself, which I'm going to run away with now and, and look to implement in my own business and life. So thank you so much. I, I really value your time there. Very welcome. I appreciate you letting me come on and share some of this stuff, man. So for, for those, you know, uh, I'm gr very grateful. I've got Tom's book, which is, uh, I won't lie, I haven't managed to read it all yet because it only turned up a day or so ago. Um, but I guess, can can people, is there a website they can order these from, Tom? Or where, where's the best place? Yeah, to, they, to they can get it on Amazon. It's on Amazon or you can go to thecontractorfight.com and grab it. So either, either Lovely. and yeah. uh, social media wise, where can people learn a little bit more about you and, and get involved with what, what, what you're doing? Yeah. Most active on Instagram. Um, and, uh, that's, uh, at real Tom Reber. And then, uh, our other account is uh contractor fight on Instagram. Okay. There. So, and Lovely. then we have I'll contractor, make... we have contractor fight TV on YouTube where we do, there's a ton of free content to help contractors grow and stuff. But, um, yeah, man, I appreciate you letting me be a part of this thing. And, um, this is good stuff. Excellent. It's good stuff. What you're doing, man. It really is. Lovely. Thank, thank you again, Tom. And I'll make sure that all the links are in the descriptions around because, you know, based off of this last uh, hour that I've just spent, you know, I'm definitely going to be diving deeper into to what you're doing and, and, and learn more about you and get more involved. So if you haven't already, guys, make sure you go and donate to Help for Heroes. That's why we're here. So we're raising as much money as we can for that charity. So please head over there and we'll see you on the next episode. Have a good day, everyone. I really hope you enjoyed the show. Um, I just wanted to pull it out there for anyone listening that I offer business coaching, but also life coaching. My life is centered around something called the free Bs, which stands for body, business and balance. When you work with me as a coach, we tackle all three aspects of life. So you as an individual, body, mindset, health, fitness, knowledge, education. Business B obviously stands for your business, improving, maximizing opportunities, elevating, making more money. And balance stands for your for friends, family, loved ones, you know, making time for everything in your life. And the free Bs is the core element to that. If you'd like to learn more, I would ask you to reach out to me on uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, wherever you might be consuming my information. Um, or you can email me directly at wayne at offthetools.co.uk. I'm here waiting to assist you to elevate across all aspects of life. Have a good one. No excuses. Let's go.